This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Asian Insider, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Now, November is a busy month for diplomacy in Asia. There is a G20, the group of 20 of the world's largest economies in Bali, a summit on November 15, followed by the 21-country APEC summit in Bangkok, followed by the ASEAN and the East Asia summit. U.S. President Joe Biden will be at the G20, and all eyes are going to be on that summit looking for a meeting with China's President Xi Jinping, which both sides are working on. And he has no intention, according to the White House, of meeting with Russia's President Vladimir Putin. Then the president heads back home to catch his granddaughter's wedding, which means he misses the APEC summit. Vice President Kamala Harris will represent the U.S. at APEC. Where does this leave ASEAN and what are the expectations of the United States? I'm delighted to say I'm joined today from Singapore by Professor Simon Tay, Chair of the Singapore Institute of International Affairs and, among other things, also non-resident ambassador of Singapore to Greece. Simon, thank you for joining me today. And from Bangkok, Professor Titinan Pongsutirak, Director of the Institute of Security and International Studies at Chulalongkorn University. So, Ajahn, very good to see you again. Professor Tay, if I may begin with you, how big a deal exactly is it for the U.S. President not to attend APEC and the East Asia Summit? Or should one be wary of overreacting? He did join the EAS virtually in 21, after his predecessor Donald Trump had skipped two years in a row, I think. So uh, what are your views on that? Well, it's often said that Asian or ASEAN diplomacy is half about showing up. So I think while not overreacting, the point has to be made that this is an expectation. If the signal is that he's giving attention to ASEAN. Now, I would say on the substance of it, the Biden administration has engaged not just ASEAN, but a wider constellation and in fact started a number of new meetings and groupings. So in this sense, the substance of it may show that he is interested in Asia or as Americans call it, the Indo-Pacific, but he actually may be looking past ASEAN to a degree at putting mild expectations on the grouping, which he hosted in DC, but also placing bets an emphasis on other things, not just the domestic familial duties of President Biden, but also the aftermath of the midterms. Professor Titinan, your views on the same question? Well, first, uh, I think APEC is about leaders meeting uh, and the same for G20 and East Asia Summit and so on. So in the past, <clears throat> what's important and critical for, for Austin is to have uh, other leaders show up so showing up, uh, the ASEAN leaders will show up. Uh, Myanmar is a little bit problematic. So I think showing up is, is really the name of the game. But I think the game has changed, uh, Nemo. I think the game is no longer just about showing up. It's about um, who shows up. And um, those who show up, what do they say? What do they do? Uh, so I think this is now the new game uh, because there's uh, geopolitical tensions from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, U.S.-China confrontation, and now with President Xi Jinping's third term, uh, we're seeing um, a rising, heightening, intensifying tensions and confrontation. So this means that, you know, if someone shows up, another person might not show up uh, and so on. So Putin would be the um, the, the, the key here. Uh, if President Putin comes, uh, that would deter other leaders. And in the case of President Biden, I think that the U.S. Uh, probably sees ASEAN. I mean, 
you know, it already had a summit with ASEAN, and ASEAN is, uh, is suffering from uh, divisions and splits within. So ASEAN is not as strong and, and, and centralized before. So for him, uh, President Biden, uh, family obligations and duties, I think, supersede ASEAN uh, the meetings at this time. So is, and now that you mentioned the, the splits within ASEAN and so forth, I'll stay with you for a bit, uh, Professor Tijinan. I saw you wrote a very forthright commentary the other day in which you said ASEAN's success requires relative peace and a rough balance between the major powers. And you said when the big powers are locked in a zero-sum conflict as between Russia and the West or China and the United States, ASEAN almost in, inevitably will become as divided and if ineffective as it once was decades ago. Could you elaborate on the impact of these geopolitical forces on ASEAN? And it's not uh, hard to fathom. I mean, <clears throat> ASEAN is a uh, organization within the region south of Southeast Asia, and it's only had, uh, it only has been 10 member states, uh, the full membership since 1999. So I think now we're seeing a kind of a divided ASEAN, like the way it was before in the formative years in the 1970s. Uh, and 80s. Uh, remember that, you know, we had the Cold War. So when the superpowers back then, the Soviet Union and, and the US, uh, were in confrontation and conflict, ASEAN was divided. And then ASEAN had a good run, had a good run in the 1990s, uh, even 2000s. But now we're seeing the China US as a new pugilist, uh, superpower confrontation, uh, locked in conflict. And when this happens, ASEAN has a hard time because the major powers, the big, the big guys, on the block, we'll try to pick ASEAN apart, trying to find allies and friends. And therefore we're seeing some splits and divisions within. Professor Tay, could I have your thoughts on all of that as well? I don't think the fault is really with ASEAN. Uh, while ASEAN will face pressures, those pressures are from the outside. Uh, the Sino-American tension is one, but of course perhaps the Russia factor and the war in Ukraine uh, amplifies that and makes it very uh, pointed at this uh, G20 moment. Uh, ASEAN members individually uh, and collectively do have a remarkable amount of space given their relatively small to medium size. I mean, by coincidence almost, but a good coincidence, uh, Indonesia is hosting the G20 and Thailand is hosting APEC. So I've always thought it was a bit of an aberration of a certain period of time, as Titanan has said, a relative peace and calm, that ASEAN occupied some centrality. The pressures have changed, uh, are intensifying, but I, I am not so quick to give up on ASEAN. In many ways, ASEAN has learned to manage the differences and emphasis inter se, uh, even on difficult issues like Myanmar. Some have more inclination to push. Others are more uh, problematic about their borders. On China and America, similarly, there are nuances. But I'm not sure we should, uh, uh, if we don't stress ASEAN too much, then we won't see a fracture. We can manage the differences. I see. I often get the question here in DC. Um, I, 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 one hears this from ASEAN and from Asia in general that um, it, we don't want to be forced to choose between say the US and China, for example, two different systems and so forth. And um, yet yet the, the language coming from out of uh, the United States is often premised on this issue of there has to be a choice. What is your view on that? Uh, Professor Tabe, I may ask you to go first. Yeah, I, I wrote about this maybe 12 years ago in my book, Asia Alone, where we really felt the choice should not be either or, but the 
and uh, emphasizing that one can have a relationship with both. Now, of course, a decade on, the pressures are much more. We are not dealing with Deng Xiaoping's China. We're dealing with Xi Jinping's China. We're not dealing with a consistent, uh, 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 all-powerful America. We're dealing much more domestically divided, uh, still powerful America. So the conditions have changed. Does the policy still worth trying? It is. And I think that uh, avoiding this Cold War mentality of a great schism is the key. Can we succeed? Well, it depends, I think, how we approach it. And I think the better approach is question by question. On certain technology issues, like uh, uh, the rollout of 5G, uh, uh, this, uh, 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 this will be much more rational. On questions of who to, to exercise militarily with, almost all ASEAN countries, including Thailand and Indonesia, are doing a bit of both. So I have not given up on the idea that we need to claim that importance to both and therefore a way of emphasizing a new kind of neutrality, non-alignment. Professor Tijinan, your views on that question? I think it's um, <clears throat> not really about um, giving up on ASEAN. I don't think that anyone around here wants to do that. I think it's about realistically salvaging what's left of ASEAN and how to make ASEAN still relevant and central. And so my call would be to gravitate and regroup around the core members, the founding members, the five countries, Thailand, Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, Philippines, and Singapore. They are much more aligned on key issue areas that Professor Tay has just mentioned. Myanmar, South China Sea, um, Russian invasion, Russian aggression. Uh, so if these five core original founding members can, can form the, the, the linchpin uh, like they did uh, back in the Cold War, I mean, in a way, uh, then you can find ASEAN having more effectiveness, uh, credibility, and, and getting things done. Um, so it's not there, really kind of the, the binary challenge uh, is, is misplaced. I mean, it's not about either or, uh, but I think the binary challenge between the U.S. and China uh, is also a function of the U.S. and China. It's not up to ASEAN. So, you know, if the U.S. and China really go at it, as we've seen, uh, that, that challenge will intensify. And I think the ASEAN uh, states are, are dealing with it in a kind of a, a not an either-or way, but a very mixed way, which is to do, uh, as Professor Tay said, uh, some issue areas uh, here on this side, that side, and in between. And that's really the name, name of the game for the ASEAN uh, membership. Uh, but I think going forward, it really depends on the, the superpowers. If the US and China go at it at the pace and intensity that we've seen, uh, ASEAN really need to regroup around the core original founding members. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Quick question to both of you, and I'll go to Professor Tay, if I may. What do you expect from China under this unprecedented third term for President Xi Jinping? I was just working on this. I wrote on this very recently, and um, suddenly analysts foreign policy security analysts here in, in D.C. are pessimistic about the direction of the U.S.-China relationship. There's a sense of a little bit of foreboding, in fact, I might say. Your, your views, uh, Professor Tay, from, from where you sit in Singapore? I think first, looking at the overall um, commentarati, you know, what's the opinion of the West, uh, sometimes it's not very helpful. I think that the many in the West have made up their mind about both Mr. Xi personally and the character of the China he leads. Uh, in America, when I 
visited you and other friends in DC, I felt a very strong uh, mindset change compared to just a few years ago when things were less, more open about possible collaboration. Um, so in a sense, uh, we're dealing with a lot of colored views and we must discern them as people who are not of the West uh, physically and not of China uh, physically either. And we have to figure out our own interests, our own readings. Your precise question of Mr. Xi, I think in some ways, this fait accompli is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, this world today has so many flips and flops, changes, and the suddenness of these changes sometimes can create uh, real uh, problems for the country and the region. Um, continuity should not be underrated, but over-concentration of power and a single-mindedness may be a difference. So it's very clear that in pulling his loyalists in to, into the Politburo, he has really all the levers. The question, what would he do with them? We look at various policies, the uh, uh, zero COVID, the uh, dual circulation, the BRI. Now, these are signatures of his last few years. Will he change them? Will he do new things like take on the over uh, uh, emphasis on state-owned enterprises? The betting in the West is that it will be more status. Therefore, growth in China will slow. This will have impacts on how it deals with Southeast Asia. But up to now, he hasn't shown a clear will to either you know, absorb ASEAN states or else you know, reject them. It's much more nuanced than that. So coming back to the ASEAN question, I think ASEAN will still be uh, uh, valuable to China as the near neighbors and a grouping which is not aligned and therefore of value to a China seeking partners and friends in the world. Professor Thijinan? On the same, on the same question on what do you expect from uh, China under uh, a third term for, with you know, President Xi Jinping for the next five years? And where does it, that leave ASEAN? I, I see it as a kind of a, a su surprising, no surprise, which means that uh, we all kind of knew that uh, President Xi Jinping uh, was going to assume the third term. Uh, so no surprise. But surprising because he has uh, surrounded himself and promoted pretty much all his allies and lieutenants. Uh, this was a bit of a surprise because there's uh, not so much power sharing. And it's a surprise because China has suffered over the past two years of COVID. I think now uh, China's in a COVID trap, uh, self-inflicted because of the zero COVID strategy. It's slow to reopen. <clears throat> it's fallen behind on, on international diplomacy. The BI is a bit of, on a plateau. Um, so I think to that extent, uh, it's a bit of a surprise that there's no uh, more kind of a power sharing in the U.S., you know, the American lingo, they would call this uh, presidencies uh, doubling down, right? Instead of uh, backing off a little bit, uh, diversifying, sharing power, he's actually entrenching, consolidating. So <clears throat> what's going to happen? Pretty much, I think uh, uh, it's hard to dispute that the, the situation we have uh, will, will deteriorate, will get worse, will intensify. What, what we've seen over the past uh, several years, that trend, uh, will exacerbate. So ASEAN will be left basically trying to navigate intensifying competition and potentially even conflict. The ASEAN divisions that we've seen over major area issue areas, South China Sea, um, you know, uh, the Russian aggression, the, the Myanmar uh, coup and civil war, all of these issues will further divide ASEAN. It's, it's harder now uh, with the presidency's third term because he's going to push back. 
I mean, this is a signal for sure that China is not going to back down, right? So I think we're going to see the, the decoupling between the U.S. and China. I think the U.S. and China will go at it even worse. Uh, and that means for ASEAN, uh, you know, we have to kind of navigate even a more treacherous uh, waters ahead. Professor T. I think that part of our job as think tanks is to worry about the worst case scenario, but doesn't mean they will eventuate. Uh, China and Australia are the only two strategic partners that ASEAN have, declared strategic partners. And this happened recently. Uh, and now you know that Australia and China are not getting on. So first, the fact that ASEAN has managed to conclude these high-level uh, uh, sort of strategic relationships with these two uh, is a good sign that ASEAN remains acceptable to many players. The second good sign is that the new Australian government has made some overtures to sort of, you know, not restart, apologize, but at least to normalize the relationship. And this has been actually fairly warmly received by China initially. We'll have to see how it goes. But I don't think China is about to really uh, wage war on anybody who is not instantly in their camp. Uh, and if you are talking about provoking uh, reactions, I think one mustn't put all the balls in China's court. The Americans have also been ready with Akers, Quad, and other things. In some ways, sidelining ASEAN to some degree, choosing partners which it feels can, uh, especially Japan, be uh, uh, pulled into a, a bandwagon uh, about China. And I think this is where we, we look at other countries, and I'm glad to be part of ASEAN. I, I'm not sure, I respect Titanan's views greatly. I read them with great interest. I'm not sure I agree with him that the division in ASEAN will be between the five original and the others. I'll say on Myanmar, Malaysia's view and Thailand's military's view are, are very different. And so I think it is much more to be passed in detail issue by issue rather than blanketly saying five against the other new five. Professor Tetinan, I see you ready to say something. <laughs> Well, I think that the, uh, the ASEAN divisions uh, are being mischaracterized. It's not about uh, the five original members vis-a-vis uh, -vis the rest, uh, the CLMB, even Brunei. It's about divisions upon divisions. So we saw, I think, uh, you know, the, the question, Nemo, <coughs> I mean, you know, 20 years ago, the U.S. is fully supportive of China entering the WTO. And we had no issues with China. Things were looking up. So the question for us is, you know, since when uh, do we have this geopolitical uh, tension and confrontation? And I think that it certainly it goes back to at least 2012 with the South China Sea, the Cambodian chairmanship. But over the years since, over the past decade, we see more divisive issues. I mean, Myanmar, the Mekong region, the, the Chinese uh, upper stream dams uh, along the Mekong River, uh, the latest being the Russian aggression. So these issue areas, uh, the ASEAN member states have different positions. So. Uh, Laos and Vietnam, for example, have been abstaining from condemning uh, Russia. But on other issues, different positions, but, but all these divergent positions on the different issues um, point to division again. So I think that these divisions, I mean, we have to accept that as a reality. Uh, ASEAN, when we talk about ASEAN, you use the word ASEAN, it's no longer the same ASEAN that we un have understood it to be. ASEAN now has nine member states. Myanmar is out indefinitely. So I think that with the challenges on the horizon, if ASEAN wants to regain initiative effectiveness, it better regroup around the five core members. Uh, it doesn't mean to exclude the rest, but it should not allow the rest, Cambodia and Laos, for example, to take ASEAN for hostage, for, for a free ride. I mean, if you want to join ASEAN, do things with ASEAN, 
get get on board, you know, get get into the game, uh, not to take it for a free ride. May I, Nirmal? Yes, last word. I think that the mayors of Cambodia, as chairman of ASEAN for the present year, they've tried their best to steer an even course, even on difficult issues like Myanmar. Secondly, I do agree with Tinan that the circumstances are changing. Therefore, what is the purpose of ASEAN? If I look at the longer arc of history, we have had problems with China in the 1990s with mischief brief, in the 1960s and 70s, uh, the sense of communist movements in our countries supported by a, a very outward-looking, very communist ideological China. So this uh, ups and downs of history in a longer arc are something we need to manage. The question we come to is then what is ASEAN's role with this new enlargement? In the Cold War years with the five plus Brunei later on, it's very clear. But ASEAN didn't do very much internally. I think that for the present, the key job of ASEAN is to keep the intra-ASEAN integration efforts happening economically, socially, and to some degree, politically, so long as we accept our differences. And I use the word differences rather than divisions, unlike Professor Titana, because once you manage the differences, understand the perspective, you can't force Vietnam to be against Russia, given their old times. But you can accept their position, and they can accept Singapore having unusually sanctioned Russia. Our president from Singapore was just in Vietnam, signed a number of important cooperation agreements, including in new areas like digital and the green economy. We are different. We've always been different. We can manage these differences and we can go on. Fascinating. We could carry on talking as we often do for a couple of hours, but we must leave it there. Uh, Simon Tay, Titinan Pongsutirak, thank you for your time. Always such a pleasure. Please take care out there. Thank you. Thank you. So that nicely wraps this discussion up for the Asian Insider podcast. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Join me and my expert guests for the next episode on the fourth Friday of every month. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.